what is up and welcome back to Beyond the Art with Brandon Silvers. As always, I am your host, Brandon Silvers. What a week, what a week. Hope you have been doing well. Let's go ahead and get into it. Okay, so the big sports story of the week is the Golden State Warriors, specifically forward and new media pioneer. Draymond Green knocked out teammate Jordan Poole in practice. News kind of trickled out about a conflict, then video was released, and the hot take machine that is social media really got rolling. So let's take a look at what happened, the reaction, and what it all means. Okay, so you've probably seen the tape by now, but Draymond Green and Jordan Poole were having words at practice, they got chest to chest, and then Draymond Green did what I would categorize as he mollywopped Jordan Poole. Poole was all staggered and everything. It's been wild ever since. And it's raised all kind of questions from should the Warriors trade Draymond to what is or isn't a sucker punch to how will this affect team chemistry? But the most important question it's raised is how will this affect the Warriors ranking in the first annual Beyond the Arc with Brandon Silver's NBA season preview? That's right, folks. It is time to let you know what is going to happen in this upcoming NBA season. I've broken it into three parts. Okay, so first up, we have the championship contenders. These are the teams who, by my own proprietary blend of metrics and analysis, have a non-zero chance to win the NBA title this year. I'll let you know why they could win it, why they might not, and give you my overall analysis on what to expect. Next up, we'll look at the playoff contenders. These are teams that won't compete for a ring, but will compete for a playoff spot. I'll let you know why they could make the playoffs, why they aren't quite good enough to contend for a championship yet, and some more analysis on what to expect from them this season. Finally, we have the Uglies. These are the teams who will be competing for the number one pick in next year's NBA draft. I'll let you know why they're so terrible, where you can find some hope if you're a fan, and what exactly all that means for the franchise moving forward. I mean, look, you've been too busy to keep up with the NBA offseason. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't even really follow basketball like that. Don't walk around looking like a fool. This is the fastest, easiest, and most entertaining way to become an NBA expert. So let's go ahead and get into it. Okay, first up, the aforementioned Golden State Warriors. They were 53-29 and last year in the regular season before going on to win the NBA championship. Let's take a look at why they're going to repeat. Okay, so you've got to beat the champs to be the champs. And there's several reasons why that's going to be difficult for other teams this year. The main one being Steph Curry. As angry as I am that he forced that weird couples game show with his wife on us at All-Star Weekend, he is still one of the scariest offensive weapons in NBA history. And that's after he had a little bit of a down year from three where he only shot 38%. Only is relative because that's still above average compared to everyone else. But if he's putting up 25, 5, and 6 and leading teams to championships in a little bit of a down year, imagine what happens if he goes back to making 40% of his threes. Russell Wilson dreams of striking this balance of talented and corny, yet mostly genuine. Then you have James Wiseman. He's looked pretty good in the preseason, and I'm ready to overreact to that. Wiseman has looked bad when he's played so far in the regular season, and when he hasn't looked bad, it's because he's injured and not playing. Not exactly what you want when you draft a guy second overall, But he's still only 21 years old, he's still 7 feet tall, and he's still ridiculously gifted. The Warriors don't need him to be a superstar yet, they just need him to score off the pick and roll, rebound, defend, and most importantly, be healthy. 
If he can do that enough to make things a little bit easier for Steph, look out. And finally, and this is a super advanced metric, but the Warriors ranked number one on the Beyond the Arc with Brandon Silver's Know How to Win scale. They've been to the finals in six of the past eight seasons, winning four rings, and that core of Steph, Clay, Draymond, Andre Iguodala, and Coach Steve Kerr is still there. No team is scarier when they're clicking and confident. But hold up, repeating as champions is hard. So what could get in the way? Well, first of all, the core that I just mentioned from all their championships still being around means those guys are old. Draymond definitely looked at last season, especially in the finals, when he seemed more concerned with podcasting than he did with making positive contributions. I mean, I, I get it. And that was before he started punching the young star players. Then you have Iggy, who looks more like a Udonis Haslam-type player coach than anything at this point. And Clay's return from an ACL tear and an Achilles rupture has been incredible, but he's been a chucker since he returned and not a particularly good one. He's probably better suited as an instant offense guy off the bench at this point in his career. And history has shown us that small guards like Steph tend to fall off hard and fast as they age, so it's entirely possible his shooting down tick was a sign of what's to come instead of an outlier. All those rings mean more games, which means they'll have all that extra mileage on them. It was absolutely worth it, but it's still going to be a factor. Also, after years of underachieving, Andrew Wiggins finally looked close to what people have been wanting him to look like since he was drafted number one overall in 2014. Is that sustainable, though? Wiggins is the second best player on this team right now. Even after last season when he was so great, would you bet on a team with Andrew Wiggins as their second best player to win an NBA championship? Then you have the aforementioned Jordan Poole, who doesn't know how to block a punch, but does know how to hit a crossover into a behind-the-back, into a step-back three. He had a fantastic season doing this over and over and over, but has he developed literally any other moves? Or has he improved at all on the defensive end? He strikes me as a guy who thinks he's ready to be a star now, but doesn't quite have the game to back that up yet. We'll see if that Draymond punch maybe knocks some sense into him, but he gives me big-time Tyler Hero vibes, and is a contender for the Beyond the Arc Trey Young Award, which goes to my most hated light-skinned player. Okay, so what's the final verdict? Vegas is setting over under a 51 and a half wins for them. Feels mostly accurate. I'd probably take the under myself because I think they'll win upper 40s to maybe 50 as Kerr tries to manage their minutes and develop some of the younger guys so that everyone's ready for the playoffs. Hard to count out the defending champs, but I think age finally starts catching up to them and the young guys don't quite make a big enough leap to cover for that this year, not to mention the chemistry issues. Hard for me to envision a repeat ring for the Bay. All right, next up, we have the Boston Celtics, who had a 51-31 and 31 record last year in the regular season, had an incredible run through the Eastern Conference before losing to the Warriors in the NBA Finals. Why could this year be their year? Well, they're bringing back the entire core from last year's final run, including star wings Jason Tatum, who averaged 27-8-4 last year, and Jalen Brown, who averaged 23-6-3. They are pretty battle-tested for a team whose stars are so young, and they also add point guard Malcolm Brogdon, who averaged 19-5-6 for the Pacers last year, and gives them more of a playmaking point guard than they've had since Kyrie left to go be the voice for the voiceless. All right, so what could get in the way of that? Well, the finals run exposed some glaring weaknesses. Jason Tatum seemed poised to cement his status as a superstar, but also seemed overwhelmed by the moment in his first NBA Finals appearance. Now, this is understandable, but how's he going to respond to that? 
Also, he's ridiculously skilled, but has shown a tendency to appear more focused on showing off how skilled he is instead of using his skills to make the best play. He's got the ability to score easier than most of the league, but too often finds himself making several moves before shooting a contested fadeaway from deep. And that's if he doesn't turn the ball over before shooting. Now, speaking of turnovers, Jalen Brown flat out cannot dribble. He's crazy good on both ends of the court, but his propensity for turnovers when forced to put the ball on the floor more than a couple of times was a big issue against the Warriors in the finals, and it limits his ceiling as a player. How much has he improved his ball handling and decision-making this offseason? That's going to be a big key to what they're doing moving forward, and man, I got to see it to believe it. The rest of the team is the definition of the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. I will die on the hill of Marcus Smart being overrated. He's not a good ball handler, decision maker, or shooter, although he can be a little bit streaky, but you live with that if you're the other team. He's an above average defender, but he's aided by the fact that he's allowed to be more physical while also being a constant flop threat. Him winning Defensive Player of the Year was more of a lifetime achievement award for annoying offensive players. He wasn't even the best defender on his team. That's big man Robert Williams, who's out for a couple of months after knee surgery after coming back super quick from a previous knee problem to play in the playoffs. Who knows what it'll look like when he gets back, and I wouldn't expect him to have improved his offensive game this offseason since he's been dealing with this knee problem. Now, you do have Al Horford and his giant mouthpiece still here to give him like 10 points and 7 boards a night while helping to anchor that defense, but he's the type of old where announcers are going to start talking about how it's a miracle he's even still alive. Speaking of old, they signed Blake Griffin to help out while Williams is out, Blake was once one of the most exciting high-flying players in the league, but he now moves around like the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz. The days of him jumping over the hood of Kia Optimus feels like a lifetime ago, and for his knees, it was. Now, all of those issues don't even come close to being the biggest one, which is the year-long suspension of head coach Ime Udoka for doing vague but wild shit. It's looking more and more like he's done in Boston altogether, and this has created a huge distraction for the entire organization. Not only is every Celtic going to have to answer questions about this situation all year, they also lost the coach who spearheaded the finals run in his first year with the team. And more importantly, I can't imagine what it's like being a woman in this organization who is either a part of what is quickly looking more and more like a traumatic event and less like your everyday affair, and continuing to work there while this is the story every day. Or being a woman in the organization who had nothing to do with the situation, but was dragged into it via rumors and speculation, and having to work there while this is the story every day. As far as the overall picture is concerned, this looks like the perfect recipe for a letdown season. They're certainly talented enough to still be a tough out in the playoffs, but age, injuries, and the Udoka scandal are just going to be too much to let them make another run to the finals. Vegas has set their over-under at 53.5 wins, and I would confidently take the under here. This feels like a 45-50 to 50 win team. Next up, we have the Los Angeles Clippers. They were 42-40 and 40 last year and lost in the play-in. Uh, don't worry, I forgot about them too. So how'd they make the jump from that to title contender? Well, if everyone is healthy, then they're as talented on both ends of the court as any team in the league. Self-described fun guy Kawhi Leonard always misses time due to injury or load management, but he's been an MVP candidate since he was in San Antonio. And I like making fun of Paul George as much as anybody, but he would be the best player on a lot of teams, so having him as your number two option is pretty good. Now, you can't expect John Wall to be what he used to be after only playing in 72 games in a total of four seasons, but he's a great piece to have even if he's only half the player that he used to be. 
Then the rest of the roster is loaded with a great mix of young and old talent, like Bobby Schmurter lookalike Reggie Jackson, who's never missed a jump shot when I watch, Terrence Mann, Norm Powell, guys like that. Then on top of all that, you've got Coach Ty Lu, who may be the first person ever to come back from being a meme and turn himself into a respectable figure. Ty's one of the best coaches in the league, and he had this team fighting last year, even when they were decimated by injuries. Okay, so what could get in the way of this comeback story? Well, rarely do you see injury-prone players become healthy guys who play a lot. Kawhi's issues are mostly related to a degenerative condition, and if you own a dictionary, you know that means it's only going to get worse. And it's really the same story for everyone else. They've got a ton of talent, great coaching, but as the saying goes, the best ability is availability, and this squad just isn't known for that. Okay, so what does all this mean for their title chances? Well, Vegas has set their over-under at 52.5 wins, and that feels like light work if everyone's healthy, but that's a pretty big if. And even if they are healthy, you can bank on Kawhi missing a handful of games due to load management. So they're definitely going to improve on that 42 wins of last year, but I don't see them going super high. And even with their talent and depth, it's hard to expect a title run from them because they're still the Clippers. Not exactly a franchise that conjures up thoughts of success and great luck. Okay, so next up, we have the Milwaukee Bucks, who were 51-31 and 31 last year. They beat the Bulls in the first round, then they lost to the Celtics in seven games in the second round. Okay, so what makes the Bucks a title contender? Simply put, Giannis is still Giannis. 30 points, 12 rebounds, 6 assists with incredible defense as usual. That was also a career high in points per game for him. He's already a two-time MVP. He's still in his prime, and your team's a title contender simply if he's on your roster. They almost beat the Eastern Conference champion Celtics even without their second-best player, Charleston's own Chris Middleton, because they have Giannis. Speaking of Middleton, he's going to be back this year, along with the sometimes fantastic, sometimes frustrating Drew Holiday. So this is a team full of players who basically are what they are, and that's a good thing when you already have a ring. And I wouldn't be shocked to see Giannis add something else to his game to take it to an even higher level. But again, even as is, they are title contenders. Okay, so what's going to get in the way of that and stop Giannis? Well, if everyone's healthy, then Drew Holiday is the X factor. He can be wildly inconsistent, looking like an all-star one minute and a G League guy the next. If he's consistently closer to that all-star level, then I don't know how you beat this team. Okay, so what does this mean for the Bucks season? Well, there's a little bit of a concern about a slow start with Middleton still being out with injury to start the season. However, as I said, Giannis can carry a team, so I don't expect that to be that much of an issue. And other teams are going to be trying to figure things out, too. I think with Middleton healthy when he comes back and Giannis again, one of the best players in the league and building his all time great case, the Bucks bounce back to go over the 52 and a half wins that Vegas has set their over under at. And they're my favorite to win the NBA championship. Please set a reminder in your phone to come back and shower me with praise when it turns out I'm right. Moving on to the Philadelphia 76ers, who were 51-31 and 31 last year before losing to the Heat in the second round. They held their training camp right here in Charleston at the Citadel, and they seem ready for a title run in their first full season with this core. What makes me think that? Well, they're led by Joel Embiid, who probably would have won MVP last year if he hadn't missed time due to injury after averaging 30-12-4, and they also have everybody's favorite little baby fan, James Harden, who came over in that midseason Ben Simmons trade. They've also got Tobias Harris, who is overpaid, but also a solid power forward in today's game, as well as Tyrese Maxey, who had a breakout season last year that saw him average 17, 3, and 4. 
They also have solid role players as well, mostly made up of wings who can score, defend, or some combination of both. Anytime you're led by a talent like Embiid, you've got a chance. If James Harden can bounce back from his down shooting year and help Joel get some easier buckets, how do you even begin to game plan to stop him? Harden and Embiid are two of the best ISO scorers in the league, so this is more about how well they complement each other and how the rest of the team complements them. Okay, so what could get in the way of all that? Well, first of all, Harden's been one of the higher usage guys in the league for about a decade now and also isn't known for being in great shape. He looked good in training camp, but those previous years have certainly taken a toll, and you have to wonder if last year's shooting slump was an outlier or what we can expect from him moving forward. The offense runs through Embiid, so I also wonder if Harden can adjust his game to that after 10 years of dribble, 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 look for my shot, dribble, dribble. Now, as far as Embiid is concerned, he's another guy who you have to assume is going to get hurt at some point. He's never played 70 games in a season, so you're just hoping whatever injury he does get is minor and healed up by playoff time. As far as his game's concerned, he really falls in love with shooting jump shots. I know the game's changed a lot since the 90s, but it's still weird to see a guy Embiid's size with his post moves only have one season shooting above 50% in his career. He can certainly shoot the three well enough to be a threat, but if that's where he's taken the majority of his shots from, then he's really let the defense off the hook. Then you've got Doc Rivers, who does have a ring as a coach, but has also developed a reputation as a guy whose teams underachieve when they have high expectations. This Sixers team certainly fits that criteria, so it wouldn't be shocking to see them blow a Game 7 at home in the second round. It's kind of just what Doc's teams do. It's hard to say how much of it is his fault, but he's the common denominator, and if everyone says it, then there must be something to it. I mean, if that many people told me I have a luxurious head of hair, then I'd go out and buy shampoo tonight. So overall, I do like the team the Sixers have put together, and I think they were smart to get rid of Ben Simmons, but it's hard for me to trust them. I do think Embiid will be extra motivated after not winning MVP last year, but I don't think that translates to postseason success. They seem headed for a great regular season, followed by a disappointing postseason. Okay, next up, we've got the Phoenix Suns. They were 64-18 and 18 last year. Incredible regular season. Looked like they were going to cruise to the finals, probably the championship. Then it all just came crashing down in the playoffs. The Pelicans gave them a tough fight in round one. Then the Mavericks beat them in seven games the very next round. And honestly, the way they lost that series was pathetic. They were up three games to two. Then they got blown out the last two games, including game seven at home. I got to go to sleep at halftime, which was nice since it was a West Coast time slot game. But I mean, what are you doing? But I mean, they are still title contenders because they still have that core from the finals run a couple of years ago with Devin Booker, NBA Hall Monitor Chris Paul, and DeAndre Ayton. And their role players are pretty nice too. You got Cam Johnson and Bridges, who are two of the better 3 and D guys in the league. They certainly had the talent to contend for a championship. Okay, so what's the problem then? Oh, buddy, what a mess. I don't even really know where to start, but let's start off on the court with Chris Paul, who is the main concern because he makes this team go, but is old and always picking up a nagging injury at the absolute worst time. But off the court is where the way bigger issues are. They're up there with the Brooklyn Nets as one of the most dysfunctional franchises in the league. They're as mentally soft as they are talented. Nobody showed up for that game seven loss at home. As a number one seed and title favorite, that just can't happen. That game cannot be over by halftime. Make me stay awake. Then the next game they played was a preseason game against some Australian semi-pro team or something, and they lost to them too. Now, I don't want to overreact to preseason games, but good Lord. Okay, quick correction on that. Wasn't a semi-pro team, but was a pro-Australian team in the NBL. 
But, I mean, that doesn't really make things a ton better. Now back to that Game 7, star big man DeAndre Ayton and coach Monty Williams got into it after Ayton reportedly refused to go back into the game when it was already a blowout and risk injuries since he was set to become a free agent when the season ended. And you know, it's really hard to blame him for that because the Suns should have already paid him, but they didn't because owner Robert Sarver is an idiot, so it led to this confrontation. And I honestly thought that Ayton was going to leave in the offseason. However, Ayton was a restricted free agent, which means that the Sun had the right to match any offer made to him, and they did just that after he signed an offer sheet with the Indiana Pacers. Okay, so why am I still talking about this? Well, at media day, Ayton said that he hadn't spoken with Monty Williams since all that went down in Game 7, which isn't a particularly great sign. Now, Williams, for his part, publicly said that he considers it to be over and done with, and he's moved on. But it's something to keep an eye on, though, especially since Ayton really doesn't seem super thrilled to be back. Now, speaking of Robert Sarver, whoa, buddy. Sarver has put the team up for sale after an NBA investigation found that he was just as good at being racist and misogynistic as he is at pissing off star players. Now, the league will be much better off with Sarver gone. Suns fans, players, and employees deserve better. However, this is an understandable distraction for the team, even with Sarver suspended and not around the organization for the year. Now, it quite obviously pales in comparison to the Sarver stuff, but Devin Booker is someone who I want to like based on how he plays, but his personality just makes that impossible. It's like he adopted all of Chris Paul's worst traits, but is more hysterical in his whining thanks to his tiny, beady little eyes. I still have not gotten over that footage of him crying over being double-teamed in a pickup game, and now he's recently been crying on Instagram after getting clowned for losing to that Australian team in a preseason game. Get a grip. Now, Chris Paul isn't particularly problematic, but rooting for him is like rooting for the police. That's really all I have to say about him. And finally, Jay Crowder is going to be traded soon, but he's one of the fakest tough guys in a league full of fake tough guys. He refers to himself in the third person by his number. Well, goodbye, Mr. 99 or whatever your number is going to be whenever you play for that Australian team, probably. I guess what I'm trying to say is that all these guys are just incredibly unlikable, which is a shame because I like their style of play. So at the end of the day, they honestly remind me a lot of Charles Barkley's sons in the mid-90s in that they're a high-scoring, fun-to-watch team that's going to win a lot of games in the regular season, but they're not built for playoff success. Now, if CP3 can stay healthy, i like for them to go over Vegas's 52.5 win total that they've predicted for them, but would be shocked to see them make it to the conference finals. As much as I hate their personalities, this is a very talented team, and hopefully they can get a better owner in there who can actually help them win, since the winning done under Sarver has been done in spite of him. So I've mentioned this on another episode, but Robert Sarver made women employees cry by being an asshole, then said out loud for other people to hear that women cry too much. So as much as I hate the players, I hate Robert Sarver way more, and I'll be happy to see him gone. And I'll be even happier that this unlikable team does not win a championship for him while he's still the owner. Okay, so let's take our talents down to South Beach and talk about the Miami Heat. They were 53-29 and 29 last year, first in the East. They lost in the Eastern Conference Finals in seven games to the Celtics. So, you know, this is a team, whenever I try to count them out because they're too old or don't have any cap room to make a move or just look terrible in general, they make me look silly. Coming within a game of the NBA Finals with the squad they had last year is an incredible accomplishment because they had honestly no business being there. So how'd they make it happen and how are they going to make it happen this year? Okay, well, the first thing is heat culture. 
This sounds ridiculous, but if you can get everyone to buy into something that is ridiculous, then it's going to work anyways. They truly seem to believe that they are tougher and more connected to each other than every other team, and they paid Udonis Haslam to sit at the end of the bench as some sort of vice principal type figure who will glare at you until you believe it too. Jimmy Butler basically embodies this current iteration of Heat culture. He yells at coaches, teammates, Carl Anthony Towns, whoever he needs to in order to will this team to win. He has no real consistent way to score, but somehow can get them a bucket when they need one simply by being grumpy and full of big face coffee. How long can he keep this up and will he play with those fake dreads is the bigger question, but he's incredible. Bam Adebayo is one of the most talented bigs in the league. When he's being aggressive, he's their best scoring option. A great defender can make plays, basically just do it all. Also, this is an organization that knows how to develop talent. This is a roster full of guys who they found walking around South Beach. They dipped them in heat culture, taught them how to shoot threes, and here we are. But it's not just all gritty guys they found off the street. They also have actual talented players like sixth man of the year Tyler Hero and former all-star and NBA champion Kyle Lowry. Okay, so I said they make me look silly when I write them off, but I'm no quitter, so it's time to write them off again. Here we go. Okay, so as great as Jimmy Butler is, you simply cannot win a championship if your best player doesn't have a consistent way to score in the half court. That's how you win in the playoffs. That's what happened to them in Game 7. Also, Jimmy has a lot of mileage on him just from being old, playing for Tom Thibodeau, deep playoff runs, etc., Father Time is undefeated, and Jimmy already has a history of nagging injuries. He's only played more than 70 games in a season twice. At a certain point, the wheels are going to come off, and it's going to be ugly. Speaking of that, Kyle Lowry's wheels are off. He came in the league when I was in high school, and you could tell in the playoffs. He didn't average double-digit points in any series. He missed most of the second-round series with an injury, and he looked completely unfamiliar with the concept of putting the ball in the basket. He's also one of the worst players in the league to watch play as he just flops and flops. And this has gotten worse as he's gotten older and his body has gotten worse at the actual game of basketball. Part of heat culture includes next level conditioning tests and I really have no clue how this guy passes him. Bam Adebayo is almost as frustrating to watch as Kyle but for a different reason. Bam has the talent to be a top 15 player in this league but he absolutely disappears when you need him the most. They have to beg him to shoot the ball. Couldn't be me. He really should have taken over as their best player a couple years ago, but he just does not have that mentality. If he had Jimmy's mindset, he'd be unstoppable. But I guess Heat culture can't fix everything. And as good as Tyler Hero is, he's also one of the more overrated players in the league. He's a great scorer off the bench, but Heat fans seem to think he's on his way to being the next Steph Curry when he's really just John Starks in MGK's body. Now, this isn't a bad thing if he knows his role, but there's a very fine line between a confident player and a delusional one, and Tyler lives on that line. Now, as I said, they're great at finding and developing diamonds in the rough. Pat Riley has been doing that since he found Anthony Mason in the USBL and the aforementioned John Starks in something called the WBL. The problem with that is that these diamonds in the rough typically have glaring flaws. Now, a great example of this is Duncan Robinson, who's an incredible three-point shooter who has no confidence in his own shot, and he can be played off the court due to his awful defense. When you have a roster of these guys, you have a great team that can be exploited by other great teams. Can you guess who they're going to play in the playoffs? Other great teams. Now, the big picture here for the team in South Beach, in case you haven't gotten the message yet, is they aren't quite a true contender for the title. However, they're a very solid team, and they're going to be a tough out in the Eastern Conference. 
Vegas has their over-under at 48 and a half wins. I think that's a little low for them. I don't think they quite get back to that 53-win mark last season, but I think they go in that 49 to 52 range. Next up, we have the telenovela that is the Brooklyn Nets. They were 44 and 38 last year. They were swept in the first round by Boston. However, they are title contenders. But how, why, what's going on? Okay, well, they are one of the most offensively talented teams in the league. KD and Kyrie are two of the most skilled players in the history of the game. Then you have Ben Simmons, who, when he plays, is one of the best playmakers and defenders in the league, as well as Seth Curry, who isn't as explosive of a scorer as his brother Steph, but was more accurate of a three-point shooter than he was last season. Not to mention Patty Mills, who plays the sixth-man spark plug role that I feel like I was born to play. They even added career 15-point-per-game scorer TJ Warren, and they have young big guy Nick Claxton, who looks ready to take another step forward in his progression. I mean, on paper or in 2K, the Nets are every bit an NBA dynasty. Okay, so they certainly have the talent to contend for a title, but why won't they? Well, how much time do you have? So KD was once again amazing last year, averaging 30.7 rebounds and 6 assists. However, the Celtics made him look old in their first round sweep. He used his superstar to put this team together. Then he requested a trade in this offseason after it didn't work after two years of trying. As you can imagine, this added more fuel to the fire for the, the hardest road critics. It's really wild how public perception on him has done a 180 since he gave that MVP speech. He's also very focused on things outside of basketball, like being aggressively passive-aggressive on Twitter. NBA superstars, they're just like us. Now, you can say a lot about him, but I don't recall him ever quitting on a team and, like, checking out on a team, but it's worth watching this year because this could turn into a huge mess very fast. Also, I mentioned Ben Simmons, but you have to wonder if he's actually going to play, and also, how's he going to look if he does play? I imagine more of the same, great passer and defender, but refuses to shoot. Now, this could work on this team since they have plenty of scorers, but he has to be on the court, though. He's also injury-prone and will get in his own head to the point that it affects his play or lack thereof. He's lucky to be on the Nets and not the Knicks in terms of media coverage. Now, on any other team, a superstar who demands a trade or another star who may not play and refuses to shoot when he does would be the story. However, on a team with Kyrie Irving, these are barely noticeable issues. I really don't even know where to start with Kyrie. He acted like he was leaving in the offseason, but it didn't look like anybody really wanted him. And I bet that has something to do with him being one of the most skilled offensive point guards we've ever seen, but also a guy who might take a week off to go to Chuck E. Cheese. He's a self-declared free thinker and voice for the voiceless and master media manipulator. But mostly he's just the personification of the dumbest tweets you've ever read. And that's their star point guard. Now, the 50 and a half wins could be the over-under for their win total for the season or the over-under for the number of games KD, Kyrie, and Ben Simmons play together. If everything goes right, they're obviously a title contender. That's a huge if, though. I think they should be better than last season's 44-win team, but still have off-the-court issues that would make for a great CW teen drama. And I didn't even mention Steve Nash, who is now coaching, knowing that KD wanted him fired. Now, in fairness to KD... Nash's coaching strategy is basically to ISO for one of his stars and then start praying ferociously. And he's in over his head in managing these personalities. Now, in fairness to Nash, 
prime Phil Jackson would be in over his head with these guys, and KD handpicked Nash for the job in the first place. So while they certainly are title contenders, I can't imagine the amount of disposable income you'd need to bet on this team to win a championship. If you have that kind of money, please spend it on solving one of the world's issues that Kyrie Irving thinks is a conspiracy. Thank you. Our next title contender are the Memphis Grizzlies. They were 56-26 and 26 last year before losing to the Golden State Warriors in the second round. Just a fun season for them. They burst on the scene as a fun, exciting team with the league's most exciting player, South Carolina native John Morant. And it felt like everyone just kind of agreed that despite their incredible season, they weren't built for a championship run yet, so we could just watch and enjoy their growth. So why could they possibly be ready now to make that next step to winning an NBA championship? Well, let's go ahead and get into it. For starters, unlike the Nets who we just talked about, they have great chemistry. They really feel like a tight AAU team in all the best ways. They talk trash, stick up for each other, hang out off the court, all that. That is rare at this level. And then you've got John Moran, who I said, one of the best players in the league, 27 points, seven rebounds, six assists in just his third year. That is ridiculous. He can get to the hoop and score whenever you need a bucket. He's basically the next evolution of prime Derrick Rose. So they're incredibly young. Only three guys on the roster have been in the league more than five years. Their best players most likely haven't even reached their prime yet, and they've already had this incredible 56-win season. So what's going to stop them from shocking the world and continuing that progression and winning an NBA championship? So the first red flag is going to be Jaron Jackson Jr. He's the guy who just really disappointed me in the playoffs. He's an incredible talent, 6'11". He can defend. He averaged 16 points a game last year, but he had trouble staying on the court because he is a fouling machine. And then when he was on the court, he relied way too much on his jump shot. His field goal percentage has gone down each year, and his three-point shooting percentage has been just awful the past two years. Then on top of all that, he's going to miss the start of the season with a stress fracture in his foot. Foot issues in a big man is just a headache and a half. And combined with the other issues, Memphis might want to try to move him as soon as he shows he's healthy. I like backup power forward Brandon Clark a lot, not just because of his name. And I'm interested to see how he looks filling in for, for Jaron when the season starts. And then we have Dylan Brooks. Y'all have got to stop giving this dude the ball. I'm guessing last season's downtick in three-point shooting percentage was an outlier, but I'm a lot more concerned about his shot selection. As soon as the ball touches his hand, you can go ahead and assume that's a shot. Chill out, relax, it's okay. Stop shooting so damn much. Speaking of problematic shooting, Ja saw the mostly positive attention he was receiving turn on him after threatening to shoot people on Twitter. Funny how that happens. He's been under a microscope after his ascent to superstardom, and he hasn't really handled it too well. And with some of this questionable Twitter behavior and some of the other things he's getting caught up in with the media, I'm a little bit concerned about that. I mean, this is the type of stuff that can become a distraction or even derail promising careers, depending on how far it goes. Now, on the court, he had two minor knee injuries last year that make me want to make another D-Rose comp for him. Hopefully they were fluky things that were able to be addressed through training and not a sign of more things to come. So Vegas is thinking they're going to come back down to earth a little bit and set the over-under at 48 and a half wins. I think they'll be between that and the 56-win season they had last year. I don't think they're quite there yet in terms of being a true title contender, 
but they're just a little bit more experienced and a move or two away. All right, so it is time for the final Beyond the Arc with Brandon Silver's NBA season preview title contender for the 2022-23 season, the Denver Nuggets. A little bit of a surprise, I know. 48-34 and 34 last year, lost in the first round to the Warriors. So what's up with them? How'd they make the list? Well, let's start with the obvious. How is Nikola Jokic even real? This dude won MVP and somehow got even better to win it again last year, averaging 27, 14, and 8. Just absurd. On top of that, Jamal Murray is going to be back from his ACL tear, and COVID conspiracy theorist Michael Porter Jr. is back, for now, from his third back surgery. I might not trust medical science either if I went through three back surgeries before turning 24, but, I mean, who knows? The rest of the roster has some pretty good pieces too. Bruce Brown comes over from the Nets and will be an instant three-point threat. They'll get streaky three-point shooting and defense from Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Aaron Gordon hasn't been quite what they had hoped, but he's still a solid piece. And don't forget, this was a Western Conference Finals team when Jamal Murray was healthy. Okay, so what's going to stop this show? Well, as much as I don't like Michael Porter Jr., the person, he's an incredibly talented offensive player. He's awful at defense, but he has the skill to lead the league in scoring. Unfortunately, the clock is ticking until his next back surgery. There's nobody on the roster who's going to be able to replace his ability to score, so if he doesn't play, they're a much different team. So we've reached the Steve Nash point of Nikola Jokic's career where it's time for him to lead them on a serious title run. He's one of the greatest offensive centers ever, but he leaves a lot to be desired defensively, and a lot of that is due to poor conditioning. When he gets tired, he gets lazy, which causes him to play defense with his hands. And that causes him to pick up easy fouls that give up easy points, and he ends up on the bench. Now, the NBA's new take foul rule might save him from some of this, but he's going to have to adjust to it quickly. Either way, it's time for the Joker to show that he's more than just a great individual offensive player, and that means showing up in shape and ready to play some defense. Okay, so what does this mean for the season? Well, I'm incredibly optimistic about this team, and one reason is that Jokic played for Serbia at the FIBA Worlds this summer. That should help him come into the season in game shape and cut down on some of those conditioning-related issues I was talking about. Charles Barkley won the MVP award the year after playing in the Summer Olympics for the Dream Team because he was in the best shape of his life due to playing basketball all summer. I think Jokic does the same, and I think Jamal Murray takes a little bit of time to get back in rhythm after missing a year and a half due to his ACL injury, but when he finally does get back in rhythm, I think he'll continue on that trajectory he was on when he helped take him to the Western Conference Finals. So this is my super sneaky contender in the Western Conference. I have them coming in over the 49 and a half wins Vegas has set for them as the over-under and making a very deep playoff run. Part two is coming out tomorrow. I'm going to go over playoff contenders, and part three will come out the day after, and I'm going to go over the worst teams in the league. Thanks for listening, and thanks for watching. Thanks for subscribing, rating, and reviewing.